The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit wogcc.com. Today we're going to kick off this new series, and the title of my message is From Ruin to Recovery. And if you're a note taker, I want you to write that down. You can also follow along on Version if you have the Bible app on your phone. It's free to download. You can go and search for a live event in your area. You should be able to pull up the notes. And as Pastor Keith uh, reference, we're going to start having those notes printed also available out for uh, everyone to take over at the community group's wall. So if you want to go grab a copy or grab it on your mobile device, you can do that as well. From ruin to recovery, let me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced something that you felt like there was no way that you were ever going to be able to recover from it? Like this is just one of the worst things that could possibly have ever happened and there's no way that I see myself ever getting out of this situation. I know that it wasn't too long ago that my wife and I, we had that experience when we were early on in our marriage with kids and babies being born and I had made some poor financial decisions concerning our business and concerning some things that we were trying to do And I thought that it was over for me. I was at a place where I could not see the light at the end of the tunnel. I just saw hopelessness, and I felt stuck. I felt like I had just made too many poor choices combined with other people in business that had let me down and that there was just no way out of this. And I considered all of my options, and none of my options at that time looked very good. I got angry at other people got angry at my customers, I got angry at uh, my children, got angry at my spouse, and of course I got angry at God. This was the lowest point that I can remember being at just spiritually, emotionally, mentally in my life to where people would try to give me optimism, they would try to tell me, hey, it's going to turn around, hey, it's going to get better, and I'll be real honest with you, I just, I didn't see it. I'd nod my head and say, thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your kind, encouraging words, but I didn't believe any of it. It was just meaningless words to me at that time. And I was living in Texas. I had two brand new twin baby girls, a one-year-old son, a business I had started, a church that we had planted that I was pastoring, and nothing, nothing was going right between health issues, financial issues, business issues, even with our church plant, of course, suffered as a result. You know, I still, for a while after we moved away from that town, had a hard time even driving through that town. I don't know if you've ever had that experience before, maybe where you've attached a a negative experience in your life to a certain area, and when you go through that town or through that city, you feel those emotions that perhaps you felt, and you would willingly drive out of your way just so you didn't have to drive through that town. That was how hurt I was even after I had moved away from that town, and but you know, Looking back on it, I've learned a lot from that season of life. And as weird as this sounds, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy, but I'm grateful for that season for me in my life because I recovered from it. I went from a place of ruin, a place of hopelessness, to a place of recovery. And today's life application that we're going to talk about is how to transition from ruin to recovery. And here's my goal for all of us today. My goal is for us to not just walk out of here having optimism stirred and hope rekindled. I do want you to have that if perhaps you're facing something that maybe you don't see a way out of or you don't see any hope or maybe you have experienced something in the past that you just have accepted as I'm always going to have this with me and I'm never going to be able to be healed from this experience. I want you not only to have hope rekindled, but I also want you to move out of here today knowing that you can find healing and wholeness from that difficult season of life through Christ and you can move forward. So that's what I want us to do. So today, we're going to take six things that we are going to stop doing and that we're going to start doing. And I want you to write these down. I'm going to give you six things throughout this message this morning that we are going to stop doing and that we're going to start doing because when you're in that mindset, When you're in that uh, frame of, of, of thinking and you're in that situation or perhaps you've just accepted that this is your lot in life, 
oftentimes you get caught in certain patterns that are traps from the enemy that he would love to keep you stuck in the past. He would love to keep you stuck in unforgiveness. He would love to keep you stuck in woundedness. He would love to keep you stuck reminding you of how other people have disappointed you and let you down. He would love to keep you stuck in some tragedy that you have gone through. He would love to keep you stuck in the pain. He would love to keep you stuck in the negative words that have been spoken by someone else that somehow are just on repeat over and over again in your mind and in your heart. He would love to keep you stuck, but I believe that through Christ that there is freedom and we're going to stop doing some things to help break that cycle. And then we're going to start doing some things that God tells us to do in his word to help us to move from ruin to recovery. So here's the first one. You ready for this? I want you to write it down. Stop blame shifting and start taking responsibility for your thought life. You have to stop shifting blame when stuff isn't going the way you want it to go because it is so easy to get caught up in a pattern and in a cycle of shifting blame onto everyone and everything else. Well, it's the weather that is the reason that I'm in such a funk. Well, it's the place that I live. It's the bad memories. It's this person that's constantly reminding me of this situation or this pain. Or it's this job. If I just had a different job and we're always blaming other people, it's that church, it's that pastor, it's that ex-spouse, whoever it is that we keep blaming over and over again, either vocalizing it or believing it in our heart, we're shifting responsibility over to that person for the reason that I'm experiencing the hopelessness I'm experiencing. And we have to stop doing that if we want to move from ruin to recovery. I had to get to a place where I had to quit blaming everyone else and I had to recognize there are some responsibilities that I need to take. There are some things I need to stop allowing myself to get stuck in and just playing the role of the victim and getting caught in this victim cycle where the whole world is against me and everyone is against me and everything is against me. And I had to go, well, you know what? I have some responsibility here. Even the things that happened to me that were beyond my control, that were actually other people's fault, if I keep replaying that situation over and over again in my mind, is that going to help me move forward, yes or no? It's not going to help me move forward. It's going to keep me stuck, and it's going to keep that iPod on that bad song just repeating it over and over and over again. Just like when your kids were little, and they had that favorite little Barney DVD that they wanted to watch. And they're like, again, this is the fourth time we've watched it. I can't take it anymore. Those negative thoughts get stuck on repeat over and over and over again. And we have to stop blame shifting and start taking responsibility for our thought life. Now, I can't control other people, and I can't make them do what I want them to do, but I can choose the things that I allow myself to dwell on. Now, that doesn't mean negative thoughts aren't going to come, because the Bible never promises that. And if anyone tells you otherwise, they're lying to you. They're selling you a bill of goods because let me tell you, you're going to have negative thoughts come through. It's what are you dwelling on? The Bible uses a word for dwelling on thoughts, and that word is meditation. What are you meditating on? In other words, what are you thinking on over and over and over and over again? What are you constantly thinking on? And that is something we need to take responsibility for, our thought life. And this is what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 8. He said, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Let's examine this text. He said, look here, think on whatever is true. So first of all, let's stop and think about the things that are actually true. Because oftentimes, the assumptions that we buy into and the lies that we buy into, there's no truth to those things at all. It's just something negative that was spewed out of either someone else's mouth or something that we've come to believe about ourselves. And we dwell on those negative thoughts and begin to believe those negative thoughts, and they become core beliefs that drive our behaviors. And we live very reactively to situations, and everything that drives our lives is hyper-emotionalism and hyper-woundedness, and we're very wounded people who aren't allowing God to heal us because we're thinking about the wrong things. 
Scripture says, think on what's true. So I have to replace the lie with the truth. The Bible says that where the Spirit of the Lord is, that there is freedom. And we know that the truth sets us free. And if God's Spirit and His Word are things that I'm meditating on, thinking on, I need to find out what God says and meditate and think on that, that truth, because it's that truth that is going to help me to walk out and live in that freedom and break that cycle. The next thing he says is whatever is just. Think about the things that are just, the things that are right, the things that God says are right, and focus on those things instead of the negativity. Focus on the things that are pure. Let's think about the things that are pure and dwell on pure things, not on victimization. Let's dwell on whatever things he says are lovely, whatever is commendable. He said, if there's any excellence or anything worthy of praise, this is the type of stuff that you need to think about. We have to stop blame shifting and we have to start take, taking responsibility for our thought life. So what are you thinking on? What are you meditating on? You've got to stop doing the negative thought pattern and you've got to take responsibility for your thought life and replace it with the truth of God's Word and begin to think on those things. Number two, the second thing we're going to stop doing is we're going to stop are you ready for this? We're going to stop investing in depression and we're going to start setting a guard over the influences we allow in our lives. Oh, don't shout me down when I'm preaching good this morning. Stop investing in depression. Some people have stock in depression. They invest heavily in depression because it has become a normal part of their lives. It has become a normal cycle, and they never do anything to counteract or break that cycle because they think it's just who they are, and they're blaming everyone else, so they just continually invest in it. Listen, there is a reason that sadness, country music, beer, and bad decisions go together. Because people invest in the depression. Well, I feel bad, so I'm just going to surround myself with negative things. I'm going to surround myself with negative messaging. Now, I'm not saying that all country music is bad. That's a matter of opinion. But if you're feeding... <laughs> Some people say, yes, wow. I wasn't ready for that. I was... Okay. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying... What, so I'm, I may not be, I'm not picking on maybe if that's your style of music. But what I am trying to help you see is that if the messaging of what you're putting in your mind is negative and you're already in a place where you feel hopeless, the last thing you need to listen to is a message of hopelessness that's only reiterating what the enemy is feeding you. Okay? So we have to make better decisions about the influences we allow because it's not just entertainment. It's actually speaking to us. The television shows that you watch, the things that we do, the things we have conversations about, the types of things that we seek out. If we're always looking for, for something negative and we're just consumed with the news and we're just consumed with all the negative reports, and if we're just consumed with seeking out negativity, you'll find people, it won't take you long, and it won't be a hard thing to find someone to sit down and talk about something negative with you. It's not hard to find somebody in your company that doesn't like the boss. It's not hard, it, it, it's not hard on your job to find somebody who doesn't like their spouse. It's not hard to find somebody who doesn't like something. And they can complain about it and be negative. And if you choose to surround yourself in those environments with those people and you put yourself in those situations over and over again, you're investing in depression. You're investing in this thing that you're experiencing that's keeping you stuck and that's keeping you in this ruin and it's keeping you in this place of hopelessness and helplessness and victimization. Instead, we have to begin setting a guard over the influences we allow in our lives. When I was a kid... In Sunday school, we used to sing a song like this to say, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above, He is looking down with love. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? Oh, be careful, little feet, where you go. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. That's a powerful message for us today. It's not just for children because it's a cute little song. We need to set guards over the influences we allow in our lives. Now, there are some things we can't control. Maybe there, be some, there may be some negativity at work you can't control. It's just part of the gig. And you're surrounded with these people. You have to be in that environment. 
You can choose not to play the game, though. And that's a challenge, and that's hard. But you can still make a choice not to play the game and not to participate. That's your decision. It may not, it may not be your choice who you get to work with closely that's still spilling negativity, but you instead can be a positive influence in that environment by allowing yourself to take the mindset, I'm going to set guards over the influences I allow. I'm going to make sure I invest as much positive things, as much God-honoring things in my life and thinking on those things that are good, those things that are true, pure, lovely, good report, all those wonderful things that Scripture talks about. Then I'm going to make a decision. I'm going to set a guard over the other things. Instead of just trying to balance it out, no, I'm just going to set up guardrails. So what do those guardrails look like for you? Only you can answer those questions because you know the things that are coming in there. But what's causing you to make an investment in depression that's keeping you stuck, that's keeping you in a state or situation of hopelessness? Proverbs 4 and 23 says this, Guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. Here we see, guard your heart above all else, the things we allow in, the things that we, those, those, those weeds that begin to grow up in the garden, you know, the junk that begins to grow up, that, you know, that weed was a seed at some point, you know, I, I remember the parable of Jesus talking about the sower that went out to sow seed, Jesus gave this parable about the different types of soil that were, that the seeds were sown on, and these seeds were good seeds, and they were put into different types of ground as the parable goes some of them fell on good ground some fell on stony ground but then there was one part that always got me where it said that it fell on this ground that was actually also thorny and the good seed began to produce but then the thorns also grew up with it and it choked the good seed out and i began to think you know those thorns were at some point a seed themselves and what was allowed in? What was not done to prevent the thorns from growing? We do all types of stuff to protect our grass, our flower beds, our gardens. We understand that from a natural standpoint. Well, so it is in the spiritual and in our, the things that we can't see. We have to set up those guardrails from allowing that junk in. Make sure that we're doing due diligence to guard our heart. He tells us that's our responsibility. He gives us part of that as our responsibility is to guard our hearts. He didn't say, God's going to guard your heart for you. No, he says, you set a guard over your heart. It's a responsibility that you have to set up the guardrails of the influences you allow so we can stop investing in depression and start investing in the good things and start, and start setting up the guardrails in our lives as well. The third thing that we're going to stop doing is we're going to stop. Are you ready for this? I don't know if you're ready for this one or not. Are you ready? These, this side's ready. I don't know. Are you guys ready? Okay. All right. Five people over here were ready. Good. All right. I'm going to give it to you anyways. We're going to stop. This is a hard one. We're going to stop seeking pity, and we're going to start focusing on responsibility. Are you, are you noticing a theme on the things we're starting to do? Are you noticing a theme? It, it's things that we're responsible for. So many people get caught up in this cycle, and this is part of the investment, I think, in depression, and these things kind of just spill over into one another that we're going to stop doing and start doing, is that we get caught up in seeking pity. Man, listen, there have been times in my life when I was going through hard stuff that I didn't see a way out, that I loved finding people that would just listen to me and feel sorry for me. It was an addiction for me. It really was, if I'm honest. I mean, it's, it's something that can get so addicting when you share something with someone and they go, oh, that's just so wrong. Oh, they were wrong. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's just terrible. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I can't believe that that happened. And you go, oh, I kind of like that. And then you go find it again from somewhere else after you get tired of, you know, getting the pats on the back from that person. And, and there's nothing wrong with us giving pity to another person. There is something wrong with us being in a cycle of always seeking pity. Because if we're always in a cycle of seeking pity, then we're not getting freedom. I mean, I think there's a time and a season for someone taking pity on someone and loving them, helping them through something, encouraging them. So don't get me wrong that I'm saying we should be really hard-nosed about things and not care for one another. That's not at all what I'm suggesting. But what I am saying is that we can get caught in a cycle. Again, this is a cycle that needs to be broken if we want to transition from a place of ruin and hopelessness to a place of healing, wholeness, and recovery. Is that we have to stop seeking pity. We have to always stop presenting ourselves as the victim. 
And we have to begin to see ourselves differently because we're thinking about different things. We're surrounding ourselves with different influences. And we're not going to get caught in that cycle of seeking out pity and just always looking for someone to feel sorry for our story. Instead, we're going to focus on our responsibility. That's where our focus needs to shift. Excuses will distract us from engaging in a relationship with God. Excuses will distract us from focusing on the right things and the good things that we should be focusing on and investing our lives in. The uh, leadership guru that has since gone on, uh, whose name was Zig Ziglar, said this. He said, the problem with pity parties is very few people come, and those who do don't bring presents. <laughs> I think, man, that's just so true. We throw these parties, and they're unhealthy, and they only feed this negativity. And I believe God wants us to break the cycle, take responsibility for where we're at. So why don't we go over to Second Peter, if you have your Bible this morning. We're going to read a portion of Scripture here from the book of 2 Peter. <clears throat> 2 Peter, we're going to start off in chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to read verse 1 through 11. So here's what the Apostle Peter writes. He says, um, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that per pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you might become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that's in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort, he's saying take responsibility, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and with knowledge self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love, if these qualities are yours, and if they are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective. They keep you from being unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he's blind, can't see the forest for the trees, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and your election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into eternal, the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Man, Peter says there's an investment that we need to make as followers of Jesus. We need to be growing in these things. We need to grow in diligence. We need to grow in brotherly affection. We need to grow in love. These things, they affect one another. We make, need to make sure that as followers of Jesus that we take responsibility for where we're at. He said, and that we continually grow, that we continue to evaluate, that we continue to not, not just allow ourselves to get stuck or feel like, oh, well, I'm sister super Christian or brother super Christian, and I'm so much better than this person because of what I do or don't do, and look at how special I am. Not that junk, because that doesn't help anybody. That's just a bunch of pride and a bunch of junk that makes people have a bad taste in their mouth to the message of the gospel. The thing that we need to do is we need to be humble, but yet also we need to be growing. We need to be humble realize we're not there yet. We need to be humble and realize the fact that there are still things in us that God is wanting to make whole that we haven't perhaps given to Him. Maybe some things that we went through seasons of ruin and we're carrying around baggage that God is wanting to set us free from. And God's wanting to heal us in. And that comes through us recognizing, like Peter said, that we need to continually be growing. We need to be continually pursuing godliness. We need to be continually increasing, as he says in these things so that we're, 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 we're becoming a stronger believer. We're becoming a more solid follower of Jesus. That's our responsibility that we need to focus on, not just seeking the pity, but focusing on that responsibility because we all have a responsibility to grow. And if we focus on that, we dive into growing as followers of Jesus, then we get stronger. But if we continually feed into self-pity, and the pity party, if we continually feed into that, then we're going to continue to struggle, and we're actually delaying our recovery. 
we're stalling and delaying our recovery. And we want to make sure that we're growing and that we're not living in the land of excuses. So that's the next thing that we're going to stop doing. We're going to stop making excuses. And we're going to start every beginning and end of the day with God. I want to read that one again. Stop making excuses and start every beginning and end of the day with God. Excuses just simply distract us from that relationship. If we just continually make excuses from engaging in relationship with God, then how do we expect ourselves to grow? How do we expect ourselves to find healing and freedom? I was having a conversation the other day with some friends of mine, and we were talking about how in marriage that people get to this point to where, you know, perhaps uh, things just aren't working out. People just get so upset with one another, and there's just little tolerance for one another, and that's oftentimes where people experience the pain of divorce, or they experience some really deep, hurtful time, uh, regardless of what may, it may come of it, but it's just something that, that got to this point of just not being able to walk together anymore. And as we were talking about this, we said, you know, that doesn't happen overnight, the problem is, is that I think we all recognize that when something negative happens, that we didn't get to that place overnight, but we think we're going to fix it overnight. And that's where people miss things, and that's where they get discouraged when they say, well, I'm going to go to church. I'm going to give an offering. I'm going to serve and do a good deed. I'm, and then they immediately go, because I did this, they're wanting an exchange. Okay, God, fix my problem. A husband may think, I'm the, I haven't been attentive to my wife for 20 years, but I'm going to bring her flowers today. Okay, that fixes everything, right? That doesn't work. That's not how it works. You didn't get there overnight. And there are very few things in your life that are a result of just this one big event that or this one big experience that changes everything, it's oftentimes little things done consistently, either negatively or correctly, that are going to put you in a strong position. I mean, the first of the year is coming up soon here before you know it, and you want to know what's going to be all over the shelves at the store? Diet plans, weight loss. Everybody's going to be like, yeah, I tried it for a week. I didn't lose anything. Yeah, well, you didn't get there in a week either. I don't feel stronger. I didn't lose this amount of weight, or I didn't gain this amount of weight, or I didn't whatever. Well, yeah, you tried it for a week. And people do that with God. And they say, well, that Christian stuff doesn't work. Yeah, that, that Bible stuff doesn't work. This is all good in theory, Pastor, but you know, it just doesn't work. Well, yeah, you've been doing this for 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 plus years, and it's time to begin to invest the other way, amen? But here's the cool thing about God is that he leads you through different seasons of breakthroughs to help you move along, and he begins to actually build momentum to where when you look back, you go, whoa, wow, I thought that'd take me 20 years to find that healing, that recovery from that, but actually God did it very quickly. It's just trusting him, diving into that relationship with him. Sometimes God does things instantly, and it's amazing when he does, and we're thankful when he does, but more often than not, when we see in scripture, we see that God is also a God of process that God wants us to invest, and he wants us to take responsibility, and that we need to focus on that. And part of that is going to be starting the day with the Lord, beginning the day by investing in relationship with him that's going to set our mind on him instead of making excuses for why I'm not doing this or I'm not going to do that. Oh, I didn't sleep good, or oh, I don't feel good, or oh, the weather's bad, or oh, I'm under so much financial pressure, or oh, the kids are misbehaving, or whatever the case may be. Instead, let's stop focusing on the excuses and let's make God and our relationship with him a priority. If you have your Bible, you can follow along with me, but I'm going to go through quite a few scriptures here. In Psalm chapter 5 and verse 3, the psalmist says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and I watch. He said, I prepare a sacrifice for you in the morning. In other words, I'm going to inconvenience myself in the morning and make sure that I put God in priority instead of myself. I'm going to start the day off by saying yes to God. And I'm going to not make excuses. 
because I want to grow in godliness. I want to grow in relationship with Him. I want to deepen trust with Him, so I'm going to start off the day with Him. Over in Psalm chapter 19, just a few pages over, Psalm 19 and verse 14, Scripture says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. That means the things that I'm meditating on, the things that I'm thinking on over and over again, let them be pleasing. Jesus said that out of the abundance of our heart that our mouth is going to speak. So whatever's coming out of our, out of our mouth is a result of what's in our heart. If you want good things to come out of your heart, you've got to put good things in. Amen? So that means I've got to meditate, think on good things. Let the meditation of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. Flip over to Mark, the very first chapter, Mark chapter 1, over in the New Testament. This is what Jesus did, Mark 1 and verse 35. Scripture says, And rising early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus went out to a, a desolate place, and there he prayed. Early in the morning, Jesus woke up, and he went and prayed. I mean, you're talking about God in the flesh waking up early in the morning. That's a priority for God. It should be a priority for me. Amen? Stop making excuses. Begin that day with God. And I, I would encourage you to end the day with God, too. And, and I'm just going to give you, you know, I'm just going to get up in your business for a minute, okay? Whether you want to or not, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get in your business for a minute. I, and, and, and I normally don't like to just tell people what to do. I like for people to come to conclusions on their own. I just like to show them the truth, and I want them to make those decisions based on the truth. Um, but there's something that would be a healthy practice for you that I think would be good. And I'm not perfect at it, and I don't do it all the time, so I'm talking to myself here too, okay? So it's not like I've got all this nailed down and i am figured it all out. But, man, we need to wake up and somehow intentionally carve out time to get our minds focused on the Lord. I don't care if it's five minutes. I don't care if it's 10 minutes. I don't care if it's 30 minutes. The amount of time doesn't make you more spiritual than someone else. All right. So here's the other deal. Ending the day with the Lord. Because stuff happens between the beginning and the end of the day, right? That's called life. That stuff happens in between. And some of it's good and some of it's bad. All right. So at the end of the day, to make sure that I'm beginning and ending my day with the Lord, why don't we take that same time and spend with him before we lay our head down to go to sleep. Turn off the TV, turn off the Netflix that you just pass out to, and focus on the Lord at the end. And I would encourage you to do this. Pray, if you're married, pray with your spouse. If you have children, pray with your children. Before you go to bed, let the last thing on your mind be the Lord. Whether that be a scripture, whether that be prayer, whether that be just thinking about how good God's been to you, even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of the negative stuff, you can still see God's still there with you because you made it another day, and He wants you to show His glory and show His goodness to people through the way you behave, through the way your attitude is, through the way you interact with them, and the way you deal with and handle bad situations. Because Jesus never said, become a Christian, come follow me, become a Christ follower, and your world's going to be perfect and everything's going to work out. Actually, He said, you're going to have a lot of trials in the world. He said, and some of them are going to be my fault because you're following Jesus. He said, but don't lose heart because of that. He said, because I've already overcome the world. Amen? And so because of that, let's rest in Him. Let's trust in Him. Let's invest, invest in relationship with Him. Man, do those little things. Even if you just take that few minutes before you go to bed, begin that discipline. Begin doing those things. Start and end the day with God and stop making excuses. Connecting with God. Starting off the day thinking about Him. Ending the day with Him. Man, I promise you, if you do more than just come to church on Sunday, you will see God moving in your life in such a greater way than you have before. If all it is is a Sunday thing, and it's just a punch in, punch out, I put in my time, look God, here's my time card, and that's how you view your relationship with God, then you're going to miss out on so much of what He has for you. You're going to miss out on the relationship. You're going to miss out on truly being able to connect with God and grow in godliness because it's so much more than just a weekend worship experience that we have together. Here's the fifth thing. We're going to stop isolating, and we are going to start connecting with other people to help us grow. We're going to start isolating, because, man, when you're in a funk, and when you're discouraged, and when you don't see a light at the end of the tunnel, and you're caught up in the cycle of negativity, you don't want to be around other people. 
But guess what? When you're in that environment, what happens when you isolate yourself? All of a sudden, you're alone with your thoughts. The self-pity kicks in. The depression kicks in. The negativity kicks in. Running to the negative vices to try to soothe kicks in. Running away and isolating is not going to help. Running away and isolating is not going to help you move from ruin to recovery. Believe me, I know. When I went through what I would call the darkest time in my life, almost losing a child, health concerns, financial pressure, business failures, church pressure from planting a church and those who had helped support us and get things going. Man, when I was going through all that and that was all crashing down on me at the same time, do you think I had a healthy marriage during that time? No. Do you think I was a fun dad to come home to? (laughs) You know, oh, yay, dad's home. Oh, no, dad's home. (laughs) It's more of what it was. You think I was making good decisions during that time? You think I was really, really thinking straight? No, because I was allowing all those things to influence me, and I allowed them to overcome me, and I allowed them to overwhelm me, and I thought the answer was running away from everybody and everything. And so I didn't reach out to people. I didn't let people know what was going on. I didn't let them know what I was processing. I was too proud. I, didn't want any, I want everybody to see that, you know, I still had it together. <laughs> Even though I was a mess inside. I wanted to see that I could make it through this. I could handle this. And I would think I've got this when I knew I was lying to myself. I knew I didn't have this. I knew I couldn't deal with this pressure, but I tried. I tried to deal with it. And, and I, just, I just began to collapse under the weight of it. And some people saw it and they tried to reach out. And I'd be like, no, I'm good. How are you doing today, Derek? Oh, I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. <laughs> oh, that was a lie. I wasn't doing great. I was doing terrible. But I felt like I couldn't tell anybody because I felt like I'd let too many people down if I was honest, if I was real. I felt like I'd be disappointing other people or I would be, you know, giving those people the I told you so crowd, I'd be giving them ammunition. You know, the crowd that said, yeah, I told you so. He moved out there to try to do this and yeah, I told you so. Shouldn't have done this. Shouldn't have done that. So I just kept it all inside. I isolated myself. And I think that's the biggest trick and the biggest trap of the enemy to get us to rely on ourselves instead of to connect with other people. Because Scripture clearly says in Proverbs 27 and 17 that iron sharpens iron. So does one man's countenance sharpen another. The Bible also clearly says that we should confess our sins to one another. The Bible says that we should also bear one another's burdens. Over and over again, I see this thing. God, in the very beginning of creation, looked at man and said, it's not good that he's alone. Over and over again, I see throughout Scripture this idea that other people are a part of my journey that God has given me to help me to grow in godliness, to help me to grow in strength, and to help me move from ruin to recovery. And if you withhold all of that, and you never trust and you never invest, in relationship with other people, then you're just isolating and giving place to the enemy. And the Bible says, don't give place to the devil. And I think one of the biggest ways we give place to the devil is when we isolate and when we withdraw. We withdraw from church community. We withdraw from fellowshipping with other believers. We withdraw from being honest with our spouse. And it just layers down with the withdrawal. And we just think that we can just take care of it all ourselves when we need to start connecting with others to help us to grow. People we can be real with. People we can be honest with. People who are actually going to give good advice. Don't go, through a per- don't go to a person that's having marriage issues when you're having marriage issues for advice on how to have a healthy marriage. Don't go to somebody who's filing chapter 13 for financial advice. Don't go to someone who's always angry to learn how to be happy, right? I mean, this is common sense stuff. But so many times we run to those very people because it helps us to feel this this feeling of pity or this feeling of being angry towards someone or something together. And it's so unhealthy. And we've got to break those cycles if we want to move from ruin to recovery. If we really want freedom. Because people talk about freedom. But let me tell you something. You've got to stop doing some things and you've got to start doing some other things if you really want it. If it's more than just lip service. A lot of people talk a good game. And they talk about all the stuff they want. Oh, I want God to move in my life, brother, let me tell you this morning. Oh, I want freedom in Jesus. Yes, sir. I, let me tell you, I want somebody just to know that I love the Lord today. I want them to know. Do you really want somebody to know? 
Or are you just playing a game? Do you really want to be free? Cry and lift your hands in church and want to be free, but that's great, but are you willing to stop doing some things and start doing others? Because <laughs> that's where the real change happens. It's not just in the inspiration moment, but it's in the everyday decision that you make beyond the moment of inspiration. I pray that you come here to this church and you find a moment of inspiration or conviction or challenge or whatever it may be that God's doing in your heart and in your mind right now. But my bigger desire for you is more than finding that moment of inspiration and conviction is that you actually do something with it. Oh, hello, somebody. I don't want you to just get inspired. Oh, I'm so inspired. Oh, I'm so challenged. Oh, I just feel so convicted to do this or feel like I need to repent of this or whatever the case may be. What are you going to do about it? Christians can be so stinking broad sometimes, let me tell you. We can be so broad and we paint with a big, broad brush sometimes when it comes to our commitments to the Lord. Because the broader the brush, the more spiritual sometimes it sounds. Oh, brother, I just want to love the Lord. Okay, how are you going to do that? Oh, brother, I just love serving the Lord. How? How are you going to do that? Oh, I just want to find freedom in Jesus. Okay, what's your first step? We don't like to get specific because then we get challenged. We want to paint with a broad brush. I'm in an accountability group that we're going through a book on marriage right now. And when we're done with our book, every time that we get done, the very first question that I ask before we leave is, what are you going to do specifically to invest in your marriage before we all leave? And we all hold each other accountable for this. What are you going to do specifically? Like, what are you actually going to do? Oh, I'm going to be a better husband. That is such a broad brush. What does that even mean? No, what's one thing you're going to do? I'm going to ask my wife to forgive me for this specific instance that I knew really hurt her, and I'm going to start paying attention to this specific thing that I need to start paying attention to. Now we're getting somewhere. Are you hearing me this morning? Okay, so when it comes to the things we're going to stop doing and the things we're going to start doing, what is your specific step? If you're going, yeah, I need to connect with other people. I've been isolating. Okay, what's the vehicle in which you're going to connect to other people? Here at Word of Grace, we try to give you many opportunities to connect. You can connect in Team Wog, serving with other people, build relationship with them. You can connect through community groups like Pastor Keith talked earlier. Are you going to actually put your name on a piece of paper or sign up online for something, or are you just going to talk about it? Oh, hello, somebody. It's getting real up in here today. Because we paint with this broad brush, but do we really want to connect? Do we really want to see the freedom? Do we really want to move from ruin to recovery, or do we think, oh, I got it. I'll handle it, and we just isolate ourselves. That is a huge trap, huge trap. Don't miss the value of connection. Don't miss the value of connection. Here's the last thing that we're going to stop doing and start doing. Are you ready for this? This is the last one. Stop clinging to the past and start dreaming for the future. We're going to stop clinging to the past, and we're going to start dreaming for the future. Some of you have forgotten how to dream. Some of you have forgotten how to see beyond where you're at. Your circumstances become so overwhelming, you've just accepted the negative circumstances as normal. I guess my marriage will always be like this. I guess I'll always be in this type of financial situation. I guess I'll always have this type of career, or I'll always be looked at a certain way. I guess I'll never really have time to be a really great parent like I want to be, and I just hope my kids will just roll the dice and hope they turn out okay but we don't get intentional. We just accept things as they are and we quit dreaming because the reality of where we're at is so overwhelming. We get caught in this cycle that kills our dream and we hold on to the past. We'll hold on to the negative experiences that we've had. We'll hold on to the mistakes that we've made. We'll hold on to the things that other people have done to us that were beyond our control, that weren't fair, that weren't right, that weren't ethical. We hold on to them. We cling to the past, and it hinders us from dreaming for the future, and we can't see beyond it because we're just so wrapped up in the past. Let me tell you, we've got to stop clinging to the past, and we've got to start dreaming for the future. In 2 Corinthians 5 and 17, the Apostle Paul says this. He said, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things. Somebody say all things all things have become new. That's what the Apostle Paul said. He said that you 
That means every one of us, me, you, all of us. If we are in Christ and we put our faith and our hope in Christ, we are now a new creation. I may not physically look different. My voice may not sound different. My situations may not change all that much, but something on the inside has radically changed. And because of that, the things on the inside can now drive my behaviors and affect the things on the outside. So I am a new creation in Christ Jesus. The past, the old things, the old hurts, the old pain, the junk that I've been holding on to, the unforgiveness, the bitterness, the things that weren't fair, those things are not a part of my journey anymore in a way that's going to hinder me or define me, in a way that's going to hold me back from being who God has made me to be. And that takes us trusting Christ and growing in that journey with Him. But let me tell you, He loves you right where you're at, and He's not holding a list or a charge of sins against you. The Bible says that He has forgiven your sins and forgotten them. They're as far as the east is from the west. The Bible says that we confess our sins, 1 John 1, 9, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So God's not holding a grudge against you. God's not shaking His head at you. When God sees us, if we are in Christ and we're a new creation, He sees us through the blood of Jesus. And He sees us as forgiven. He sees us as redeemed. He sees us as a son or a daughter. And He shows us that love that we didn't deserve, that we could never earn, that we could never be good enough to deserve, but He gives it to us freely because it's the gift of God. That's good news, folks. But for us to move forward in this journey, we have to accept that new life and identify and have our identity wrapped up in Christ and not in our past, not in our failures, not in our struggles, both past and present. And we've got to start dreaming again and seeing something different you are a new creation in Christ. Are you hearing me this morning? Your past should not dictate your future. You can learn from it. You can learn from your past, okay? So the past can be used by God to turn into something beautiful that brings Him glory. But it doesn't have to hold you back. You can learn from it and grow from it, but your recovery and your healing is going to come from you learning from the past and dreaming of what can be because of Christ, because your life is now hidden in Christ. Your past before Christ is gone. Your sins are forgiven. You're a son. You're a daughter. Clinging to the past is going to keep you focused on your limitations. God's grace restores hope in us. Maybe your past has kept you from believing that things could get better, that things could be different that you can't escape the reality that you're facing now because of the past. There are so many wicked things that the enemy whispers in people's ear during times like these. Where he comes along and whispers and reminds you and tries to get you to dwell on it and think on the negativity and meditate on it and surround yourself with negative people and allow negative influences in your life and to isolate yourself and to hold on to that past but we who are new creations in Christ have to stop doing those things to begin to walk on this road from ruin to recovery where we begin to invest in relationship with God, where we begin to grow in understanding His love for us and the freedom that we have in Christ. You see, God's grace restores hope in us. God's grace restores hope in us. So here's the deal. It's during times like this today where there's things we recognize we need to stop. And, and maybe there's things you need to stop that I didn't mention. Just because I didn't mention them doesn't mean you're not supposed to stop them. That may be God speaking to your heart, saying it's time to stop this and start doing that. So maybe it wasn't one of the six things I shared. Maybe God's given you a customized message directly for you today that he's wanting you to stop something and start something. You need to submit to that and obey that. We need to stop listening to the negativity, to the lies, to stop replaying the hurt, to stop allowing the embers of the past to keep burning hot in our minds and our hearts. Every time that someone's name's brought up or a situation's brought up, we talk about it like it happened yesterday. That's unhealthy. We've got to move forward and allow God to heal those wounds. 
It's time to make a decision to get healthier. It's time to invest in our minds and our hearts the good things. And you do this one, one decision, one step at a time. I'm going to stop doing this, and I'm going to start doing this. And, and you're not going to be perfect at it. <laughs> but don't get discouraged. Don't go, oh, man, I blew it. Nope. Just pick it right back up and say, no, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this. I'm going to start doing this. You may blow it. You may, you may say, I'm going to stop doing this, and then you go right back to isolation. Recognize it and say, no, I'm, I'm going to stop doing this because this is not who I am in Christ. This is not who Christ has made me to be. I'm a new creation in Christ. And I want to invest in thinking on good things. And I want to give you something good to think on before you leave here today. So I want to ask you to stand. Go ahead, everybody stand up. Before we go, I want to give you something to think about. I just want you to close your eyes all throughout this place today. And I'm going to put some scripture up on the screen, and I'm going to read it. And I want you to hear the words of God from scripture, and I want them to minister to your heart today. And these are the things that I want you to think about. These are the things I want you to invest in. From Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Think about this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. You cause my cup to overflow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the opportunity to share your word with our church family here today. I pray that every person, whether they come in this place as a believer in Christ or whether they have not yet given their lives to you, Lord, I pray today would be the day where we solidify that relationship with you by recognizing our need for you, by recognizing you're our source of hope, by recognizing that you are our all in all and that you are the way, the truth, and the life and that no man comes to the Father except by you. So I pray, God, as you move on people's hearts to come to that place of repentance today, I pray that we do, God, that we repent for the things that we've been doing that we need to stop, and that we make a fresh commitment to the things that we need to start doing, Lord. I pray your Holy Spirit would take this message and make it applicable to each individual's life, regardless of the season of life they may be in, regardless of if it's a current thing they're facing or something perhaps that they need to let go of in the past, or whether it's healing that you're wanting to bring to them, that they've been begrudgingly holding on to something and fighting for it, I pray they let it go today. And I pray that healing and peace would flow, God, in their hearts and minds today. A peace, like your word says, that passes all understanding, that guards our hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. And I pray you do that, that you solidify it, you strengthen it, and help us to make those commitments, make those decisions, and help us to grow. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.